The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Last year, late last year, uh, we found out that our son Corbin is even more amazing than we had first thought. We came away from the dentist's office to find out that Corbin had four extra front teeth that were up inside his head somewhere. And um, he inherited this from his, he gave me permission to share this, by the way, and he, he inherited this from his mother. Uh, she too had extra teeth that had to get pulled out. It's kind of a reverse Mother's Day gift. And so she gave that to him. And I'm going to try to take a long story and make it very short. But, but when we find, found out that Corbin needs to get his teeth pulled and we need to find an oral surgeon, I went on our insurance company's website and I went to go look for an oral surgeon. And there was only one in Green Bay that accepted our insurance. And so I called them and I asked them if they accepted our insurance. And sure enough, they did. They said, but we have a long waiting list. And so I went back on the website to find the next closest oral surgeon. And that one was in Walsall. And so I call up there and I said, do you accept our insurance? And say, yes, we do. But what is your child's ID number? Because we only accept some and not others. So I gave them the ID number. Sorry, we don't take his insurance. So then I went back on the website, which is not very helpful. You have to search by county. And I went to look for the next closest oral surgeon, which was in Milwaukee. And so I call up the oral surgeon in Milwaukee, and I make an appointment. And they say, you have to come for a consultation, and then you have to come back from the surgery. I said, well, I'm coming from Green Bay. Can we do it all in one day? They said, nope, we can't do that. I said, all right. So we drive down, and we have the consultation, and take an x-ray. And sure enough, the x-ray shows the exact same thing it did up here. He has extra teeth that need to be pulled out. And so as I walk out, the, the lady at the front table, the uh, administrator, what do you call it? Receptionist, thank you. She says, hey, we will, we will schedule an appointment with the hospital, and we'll get back to you as far as a date and a time. I say, great. So she calls me four days later and says, the hospital no longer takes your insurance. Sorry, uh, we can't help you. I said, well, do you know someone who can? No, we don't know anyone else who takes that insurance. So I go back to the website. And I'm looking for someplace that an oral surgeon that will take our insurance. And I can't find one. So I call the company, and she says, the closest one to you, I think, is in Chippewa Falls, three hours away. So we set up an appointment to go there. Sure enough, they take our insurance, and the hospital they work with takes our insurance. And so uh, we set up this trip to go over there on a Monday, the first day of my vacation. And we do that because Trisha's parents live in that area, so we figured we can stay with her folks on Sunday, go to the doctor on Monday, and come back. Well, Thursday before, they call me and they say, sorry, Monday won't work. We need to move you to Thursday, which doesn't sound like such a bad deal, except her parents were leaving for vacation on Tuesday. And so now we plan this trip over there, and we're debating, should I just take Corbin three hours there and three hours back for a 10-minute consultation, or should we go as a family and do a vacation out of it? And so we're debating, should we, should we get a hotel, not to get a hotel? And anyways, there's so much more to the story. I, I can't share it all, but but the day of, they try to switch our appointment to someplace up north, and I have to call back and get it switched back. And then in the hurry of it all, we decide, okay, let's take the kids, let's go to the hotel. And so I booked this hotel online, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, this is a great hotel. It has a slide for the kids, and it has, you know, a nice pool, and it has a, a basketball hoop, and all these great things. I'm so excited. I hit confirm. I get the confirmation email. I hit the link, and it's not the hotel I thought I booked. It was this outdated hotel with a very ordinary pool. Thankfully, kids like water no matter how ordinary it is. But I just remember 
trying to shove all our kids' clothing and suitcases and throw them into the suburban. And I was so frustrated. I was so angry. I was taking the big wheels and throwing them into the garage, which is where they belong, but not with so much effort probably. And I remember there was this big cardboard box and I kicked it towards the recycling bin, but I wanted to kick something. And I found a box and I kicked it because I was so upset and I was so frustrated and I was so angry. I was angry at the insurance company, at the website, at the doctor, at the hotel. I was angry at everybody and everything. Have you ever been there? (laughs) Moms? Have you ever been there? How do you respond when everything seems to go wrong? How do you respond in those extremely difficult and frustrating situations? How do you respond when in your job you're passed over for a promotion or you're overworked and underpaid and underappreciated? How do you respond when you're in a marriage where you want to be out or when you're not married and you want to be in? How do you respond when you're a kid and your parents aren't being fair or your coach is being too hard on you? How do you respond in those difficult and bitter situations? Well, today we're going to be looking at Israel, and Israel is going to face such a situation, a situation that is far more difficult and far more bitter than even the one that I experienced. And I want to look at this passage, and my hope for today is that as we look at this passage, you will see that these difficult situations, these potentially frustrating and bitter situations are actually situations that God has given to us in order to teach us how sweet he is. And so if you would please open up to Exodus chapter 15. Our main text is going to be verse 22 through 27 today, but we're going to skip into verse 16 and 17 a little bit. If you remember two weeks ago, we read about how the Lord parted the Red Sea to deliver Israel from the Egyptians. Uh, They responded with a a godly fear of the Lord as well as a faith in the Lord as the author and accomplisher of their salvation. Last week, we read of the song of salvation as they joyfully overflowed, rejoicing in the Lord as their strength and their song and their salvation. But now the journey goes on. And that's where we pick up today's story. Exodus 15, verse 22. The Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they camped there by the water. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your word today confessing that we are quick to grumble. 
quick to get frustrated, quick to get angry at things that we have no reason to be angry about. Lord, I pray as, we, as you draw those things to our mind that we would taste and see and know that you are good, even in the midst of those difficult circumstances. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This passage starts out in verse 22 by telling us that Moses, assuming under the Lord's guidance, that Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. In other words, Israel didn't want to set out from the Red Sea. You see, the Red Sea was a mountaintop experience for Israel. Israel had experienced the salvation of the Lord, and then they joined together in song of praise and rejoicing and delight. You know, I'm reminded about when I was in high school, and we would go off to a Christian camp, and we'd be coming back, and and the students would say, I wish I could just stay at camp forever because I feel so close to God. And that's what the Israelites were feeling. But the problem is, Life isn't camp. Life isn't supposed to be lived at the Red Sea. They were to go forward into the wilderness towards the promised land. You know, we said this many times in Exodus, but Israel's story mirrors our story, mirrors the story of the church, mirrors our story individually as those who have been saved by God. Just as the parting of the Red Sea mirrors our salvation and entrance into Canaan mirrors our glorification into heaven. So the wandering of the Israelites in the wilderness mirrors our sanctification, which means our growth in grace as we're growing into the image of Jesus until that day when we meet God in heaven. You see, in one glorious act, God saved Israel by drowning the Egyptian army. And in one glorious act, God saved us through the death and resurrection of his son. And just as Israel is destined for the promised land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, so we are destined for the promised land of heaven. But here's the thing. Between salvation at the sea and glorification in Canaan, there is sanctification in the wilderness. And when we are in the wilderness, as we are traveling through this life, this journey that we have with God, there are many trials and many difficulties and many potential situations to be frustrated. Just as God led Israel into the wilderness, so he leads us into the wilderness. And we will face little frustrations like not being able to find your car keys and major frustrations like not being able to find health care for your child. But my hope again today is that as we look at today's passage, that we will see that the most bitter situations in our life are actually opportunities to taste how sweet the Lord is. And so let's look and see the different responses to this very difficult and bitter situation. Look at verse 22 with me again. It says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, which means bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Imagine yourself as one of those Israelites. You're standing by the Red Sea. You're happy to be there. And God calls you to go out into a harsh and unforgiving wilderness. You go out following the Lord's command, 
and you are out there for three days and you are running out of water. You have run out of water. You start to get faint. You start to get a headache. You probably get a little bit moody. But you're also worried about your oxen and your children. They have nothing to drink as well. And so you're traveling for three days, thirsting. And then finally on the horizon, you see water. And you're saying, praise the Lord, this is such good news. There's water. Finally, our, our thirst will be satisfied. Thank you, God. And there's rejoicing and they're singing and the kids run up ahead and they, they run up to the water and they dive their hands in and bring it to their mouth. And then they spit it out because it's too bitter. And, and not only is it bitter, I think they could muscle through that but it's probably poisonous, or at least they would have believed that it would have been poisonous from the minerals in the water. You know, I can hardly think of a more demoralizing and frustrating and bitter situation. Israel followed God, and they were literally, not figuratively, dying of thirst. They see this great water source and are overjoyed just to find out that it isn't drinkable. And so Israel responds by grumbling. Grumbling because their eyes are fixed on their situation and what they don't have. We see this as a pattern that continues. If you would look back in your Bible, I want to look at the first three verses of chapter 16 and the first three verses of chapter 17. Read along with me if you would. Chapter 16, 1 through 3, it says, they, talking about Israel, set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Skip to chapter 17, first three verses there. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandments of the Lord, encamped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? You know, when we look at this passage and we look at the journey of the Israelites, one of the questions that goes through my head is, why did God take them on this path? I mean, why didn't, why didn't God just take them directly to Canaan? Why did God take them on this long path through the wilderness? And if he took them on this long path through the wilderness, why did he start by bringing them tomorrow? Why didn't he bring them to a fresh well where they could drink water? Why did he bring them to a place with bitter water? And what we see is that through this situation, God is revealing their hearts in order that he might ultimately capture their hearts. You see, their hearts were bitter and angry and entitled. Their faith was fleeting and fickle. Remember, just 72 hours before Mara, what was Israel doing? They were worshiping. They were celebrating the Lord. They were overjoyed with his provision of salvation. But now, they're grumbling 
and whining and complaining. You know, I think we can relate to this. Many times I come here on Sunday mornings and we sit, we're here together and we sing to the Lord and we hear from God's word. And it is a great time of feasting on God's grace. And we walk out the doors and we're overjoyed at what God has done for us. But then we get in the car on the ride home and our spouse says something we don't want them to say. And instantly we turn. Or we're at home and, and maybe supper is burnt and we just become grumpy and angry. Or maybe there's an unknown situation and we become anxious and fearful. Our faith is so fickle, isn't it? It just changes so easily. And what we see as we look through these three chapters is that bitterness and grumbling is not primarily about your situation. But what bitterness and grumbling does is it reveals the true condition of your heart. Greg Eastbrook is a professor in California, and he wrote a book called The Paradox of Progress. And the subheading says, how life gets better while people feel worse. And he says this in the book, and I thought it was very, very true and very telling. He says, too many baby boomers in subsequent generations are whining today, finding fault with their circumstances while living better than kings did two centuries ago. You see, grumbling is not primarily about our situation. We live better than kings. Grumbling is a matter of the heart. You know, as I was looking forward to this message, I knew that we were going to be talking about grumbling. And so I was just aware, you know, um, I'm going to be talking about not grumbling. So I should probably try to not grumble this week, right? And it was a horrific failure. I mean, as you are now thinking about it this week, check and see how often are you grumbling? I mean, I was preparing this message on not grumbling, okay? And I stopped by McDonald's to get a cup of coffee, and I told them to put two cream and some sweetener in it. And I get there, and I open up, and I'm drinking it, and I start grumbling because they didn't put enough sweetener. And I'm like, oh, I'm already doing it. And I'm preparing a sermon on not grumbling. And here I am over something so small. It doesn't have to be major. It doesn't have to be medical. It can be coffee. And my heart overflows with bitterness and grumbling. It is so scary when you hear yourself grumbling. If you drill down and find out what is the source of that grumbling, it is entitlement and bitterness and anger and a lack of faith in God himself. If you look in chapter 16, verse 7, It's very interesting. Moses says, you can look there with me. Moses says, In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. Now, they didn't grumble in prayer. They grumbled to Moses and Aaron. And yet what he's saying here is when you grumble against other people, you're actually grumbling against God. If you look at the end of verse 8, he says the same thing. He says, your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Chapter 17, verse 7, we read, Moses called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? When we grumble, we grumble against God. 
even if he's not in the picture of your mind. We're grumbling against God because God is sovereign over all of the situations of our life. Even when the coffee doesn't have enough sweetener, he's sovereign even over that. And so we grumble, we grumble against God. And this reveals our relationship with God. In chapter 16, verse 3, we read that the people of Israel said to Moses and Aaron, Would that we have died at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now this is such an interesting verse because Israel is romanticizing slavery. They're saying, wasn't slavery so much better? When we were persecuted and we were mistreated and our babies were killed. They don't remember that stuff, right? What do they remember? Meat and bread, right? They must have been Wisconsinites. Our bellies were full. It was good there. They romanticized their slavery because they don't want to trust the Lord in their current situation. They want to trust Pharaoh more than they want to trust God. And we look at that and we say, that's absolutely foolish, but that's exactly what we do when we grumble. If we don't repent of our grumbling against the Lord, what happens? We want to go chase other gods, don't we? We want to go chase other idols. Idols that we remember the good things about them, but we forget all the bad. Idols that really enslave us. I mean, there's a whole list. I mean, anything can be an idol. Maybe when you are in a bad mood, you, you go and you start eating food because it's to make you feel better. Or maybe you, you go start drinking to drink your problems away or whatever it might be. There are so many things that you could run to other than God. But when we are bitter and we're angry and we're grumbling and we're looking for relief, we will run to a God. The question is, which God will we run to? They wanted to run back to Egypt, back to slavery. And so often our hearts want to do the exact same thing. And so as we look at this passage, we start to understand how toxic bitterness is. I mean, with grumbling, I guess I never thought it was that big of a sin or that big of a deal. But when you drill down, what you see is there's a bitter heart that lies underneath the grumbling that says, God, where are you? Are you here? Or, or if you believe God is there, God, are you for me or against me? And we, we question God's fatherly care of us to orchestrate all things for our good and for his glory. So we see one response to these difficult situations is bitterness and grumbling, which is a cancer to our soul. And God reveals it through different difficult situations that he might cure us of it. And so what is, what is the other option? When we, when we face difficult situations, which will happen, what's the other option besides bitterness and grumbling? Well, let's look at verse 24 again. It says, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And Moses cried to the Lord. pretty simple, isn't it? It's not that complicated. When we face difficult and bitter situations, big or small, it is so easy and so simple. We're to cry out to God, to pray to him, 
Last week, you may remember I quizzed you, right? And I said, what is the most commanded thing in Scripture? And Wesley said, prayer, right? It's what God commands us to do time and time again, pray. And yet it's so hard to do because it's so easy. Just pray. As you look at chapter 17, again, they're grumbling against Moses. In verse 4, it says, Moses cried to the Lord. You know, in the wilderness, God is fostering his relationship with Israel. He's fostering their dependence upon him. And God leads Israel along bitter water so that they might know that he is God, that he who has provided for their salvation is overjoyed to provide for their sustaining sanctification. The Lord is not distant, tinkering somewhere in the universe. He is an active and present Father who cares for you and delights to provide for all of your needs. You know, there are times when my kids, when, especially when they're younger, where they will come and they'll just be crying and kind of whining. And so I'll bring them up on my lap and I'll, I'll say, what's wrong? And they'll just sort of cry. And, and then they'll, they'll use that language, you know. And I'm trying to understand, what, what's wrong? What, why are you so upset? And finally, they'll get out. Or, or we'll say, to, excuse me, let me back up. We'll say to them, use your words, right? Use your words. Don't just do, uh, and Wah. like, use your words. Tell me what you want. And finally, they'll say, I'm thirsty. And I love my kids. And so I'd say, I'd love to get you water. I'd love to give that for you. Just use your words. Just tell dad what you want, and I am delighted to give it to you. You know, Matthew 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he says this, which I love, which is extremely applicable to our passage today. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You know, I love these three chapters because Israel faces this difficult situation And they grumble, and they're bitter, and nothing changes. And then Moses uses his words. He cries out to God about the bitter water, about the lack of food, about the lack of water. And do you know what God's response is? Okay, all you got to do is ask. I'm happy to do it. I'd love to do that for you. You know, Israel should have known better. When they were in slavery for 400 years, finally they decided, maybe we should cry out to the Lord. And what happened? Plague one, plague two, plague three, plague four, right? And then he leads them out by a pillar of cloud, and then he, and then he, and, and fire, and then he leads them to the Red Sea, and then he divides the Red Sea, and then he crushes the Egyptian army, all because they cried out to the Lord. They should know that if you cry out to God, he will answer. But they had forgotten And so they grumbled and they mumbled, but Moses remembered what God had done, how God had been their helper. You see, Israel was suffering from something that we suffer from, which is spiritual amnesia. We forget two major things all the time. The first thing we forget 
is who the Lord is. That the Lord is God. That he's the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise God of the universe. And the second thing we forget is who we are. That we are his beloved children. That he cherishes us. He delights in us. And he loves to give us good gifts. And so, as we face bitter and difficult situations, these are the three things I want you to do. The first is this. Remember who the Lord is, that he's good, that he knows all things, and that he's all-powerful. Remember who the Lord is. Second, remember who you are. If you have trusted in Christ for your salvation, you are a child of God, and he delights to give you good gifts. Remember who God is. Remember who you are. And finally, use your words. Cry out to your heavenly Father, and he will answer you. So Israel responded with grumbling. Moses responded with simple prayer. Now let's look at the Lord's response. And you know, if I was God in this situation and I saved these people and delivered these people and then all of a sudden they just start grumbling against me, well, let's just say it's a good thing I'm not God because uh, I would not respond in the same way he did. Verse 25, Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. God's response to ungrateful Israelites is grace. You see, it would have been enough if God had just made the water pure and clean. Wouldn't it have? I'm sure they would have been happy. I'm sure they would have been delighted. But God didn't just make the water clean. He made it sweet for them to enjoy it because God loves to pour out his grace upon his children. You know, this is the pattern of God throughout the next chapters. Chapter 16, they grumble because they don't have food or or food. They don't have bread or meat. And so God gives them bread and meat. And then the next chapter, they grumble because they don't have water. And God's like, hey, look at that rock. Boom, water. God loves to give good gifts. God repays grumbling with grace. God's grace continues, verse 25. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on Egyptians, for I am the Lord your helper. God is a gracious father who is warning his children to obey him that they might live out the freedom that he has given to them. You know, as parents, we call this negative reinforcement, right? When our kids are running in the house with scissors, we sit them down and we say, listen, you need to stop doing this. And if you do it again, you're going to time out, not because I hate you, but because I love you. And I don't want you to hurt yourself. See, God's way is always the best way. We sang this earlier. The only way to be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey. You will never be so happy as when you obey the Lord and follow his commands in your life. I know we often look at God's law as obstacles to our happiness. That is an instrument of Satan. His law is a good gift to people who know no better. And so by his grace, he gives us his law to lead us into freedom that he's given to us. 
And then we see his grace continues. Verse 27, then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water. Not 13 springs, not 11 springs, 12 springs. One for every tribe of Israel. And 70 palm trees. That's either for the 70 people that first came down to Israel or maybe the 70 elders. But either way, it's communicating God's abundant and precise provision for his people. And then it says they encamped there by the water. God repays grumbling with grace. You know the best thing about grace is that it's grace. That we can't earn it. We can't lose it. We don't deserve it. And yet God pours out his grace upon his children time and time and time again. You know, I was at a uh, pastor's conference several years ago, and what they do is they invite all these well-known pastors to come in and preach. And one of my favorite preachers was up there, and he was doing a great job, and it was very powerful what he was saying. And, you know, everyone in the audience was doing it. Mm, yeah, that's good. You know, a lot of, yeah, that's true. That's good. And, and so he, he was talking at one point about what's wrong with our culture and what's wrong with our society. And he stopped, and he, and he looked at the crowd, and he said this. He said, do me a favor. Never let your kid join a little league where everyone gets a trophy. And everyone laughed and yelled, amen. But as I walked away from there, I thought, isn't that the gospel? Isn't that the gospel of God's grace? That no matter how many times we lose against sin, no matter how many times we grumble and are bitter in a day, that we still get a trophy? That Christ has had a perfect record against sin. And his perfect record is transferred to us that we might get all the riches of heaven for all eternity. Isn't that the gospel? That people who lose time and time and time again are rewarded by the grace of God and get the greatest gift of all, God himself. And so we see that God responds to our grumbling with his great and matchless grace. You know, today is Mother's Day, as we have said a few times. And Mother's Day is often a wonderful day, but it's often a day where there can also be a lot of bitterness. I know some of you here today who've had mothers that have abused you physically, and emotionally. And I know some of you here today that are moms, you're probably not expecting a call from your kids because they don't do that or because they underappreciate you. And this is a perfect opportunity to apply this passage. You see, how can bitterness turn into sweetness? Well, when we look at this passage, what did God tell Moses to do? God could have gone, water sweet, drink up. He didn't do that. He said, go grab a log, throw it in the water, and it was sweet. You know, some older commentators say the log is to point us to the cross. And I think that might be a stretch, but the reality is those logs at the cross had the same effect at the log at Mara 
that it can make bitter situations sweet again. If you have been betrayed by your mother or betrayed by your children or betrayed by a loved one, we can look at the cross and remember that Christ was betrayed for our sake. Take these logs and throw them into your pool of bitterness. If you have been a victim of injustice from family or friends or strangers, we can remember that Jesus is the only man who was declared innocent and then sentenced to death. And we can take these logs of the cross and throw them into our pool of bitterness. If we've been sinned against greatly, we are reminded by these logs that Jesus' death was because of our sin, that he might pour out grace upon us. And we can take these logs and throw them into our bitterness and make it sweet, knowing that we have all that we need in Jesus Christ. You know, there was one statement that was made this week and I was, as I was preparing for it, and it really stuck out to me because I'm not sure if I believe it, but I know that I should. And the statement was simply this. If God never gives you another good thing the rest of your life, you've already gotten more than you deserve. God has been so sweet to us. And the great thing about that I know he's going to give me more good things. I mean, I have eternity waiting for me. I have him waiting for me. Because God pours out his grace upon us. When you face those difficult situations, big or small, don't grumble, but remember who God is as your loving Heavenly Father. Remember who you are, his cherished and precious child. Cry out to him and experience his overwhelming and unending grace towards you. Let's pray. Lord, certainly the Israelites did not thank you for Mara. Certainly we would probably not look at many of our past bitter circumstances and thank you for them. But God, help us to recognize that nothing is outside the control of your plan and you are using bitter pools of water in our lives to show us the sweetness of your provision. And so, God, pray that you would go to work on the bitterness in our hearts, Lord, on the grumbling of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to remember who you are and who we are in Christ and remind us to just cry out to you in prayer and experience and receive your overwhelming grace. God, as we look at the Lord's table this morning, we're reminded that Jesus was the only one who had any right to be bitter because he was completely innocent and yet was crucified for us. And yet the cross is not a symbol for bitterness for us, but it is a symbol of the sweetness of God towards sinners. And so we rejoice in it, Lord. And as we take these elements, pray that they would not just be ordinary, but that they would be extraordinary provisions, extraordinary symbols to us of your love and your grace towards grumblers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.